we move thematically our, our four Sundays of Advent, these beautiful paintings were done years ago by um, some art students here in Laguna. Um, but each thematically represents uh, the first, the candle of hope. I'm getting a, a ring over here. Followed, secondly, by our theme today of peace. And I'm guessing that I'm not alone in saying I could use a little bit of this second one, some peace, that our hearts long for it. Advent is a time that we remember that we are in the tension of God's coming and that the peace that we long for is ultimately something that is promised for us to come in the future. I'm going to light our candles today. And as we do, remind you that Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Amen. All right. Let me get caught back up here. Um, This theme of peace is the proclamation that the angels cry out on the night of Jesus' birth. There's this beautiful moment as the shepherds lay there in the fields, like staring up at the sky and are joined by this chorus of angels singing peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And as I look at the world, as I open up that news app each day, I'm thinking, show me just a little bit of peace. And again and again and again, what we see is conflict, growing conflict, in fact. I heard somebody say the other day that we're not experiencing a world war, but we are experiencing a world at war. It's everywhere, and things just seem to get worse and to be spreading. And I think our hearts cry out with this ache of peace. There's a beautiful poem that was written by Henry Longfellow and um, it has to do with the bells of Christmas Day. And you've probably heard it sung probably by Andy Williams, but it's a beautiful song, a song filled with peace, and yet this struggle as well. He, he begins by saying, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in this, as he begins to, you know, move verse by verse, we realize that this is occurring in a time of war. In fact, it was written during the Civil War that his son had left and was fighting on the side of the Union, would be in the end wounded in battle. There's verses in there about cannons firing. And in this moment of despair, he says, and in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And then there's this ringing of the bells. And he finishes with this verse of hope saying, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. And Advent is this season of remembering. It's the, it's the end of our calendar year. It's the beginning of the church year. It's a resetting our minds on the two comings of Christ. The celebration of the birth of Christ, coming as an infant into this world, helpless in humility. 
and the reminder of the promise of Jesus that he would come again. And this promise is what gives us peace today in the midst of a broken world. In John 14, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give you peace as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. You have heard me tell you I'm going away and I'm coming to you. And this awaiting is this moment that we look to with longing. In fact, we're going to see there's an aching to this. But it comes with this assurance, this promise, and also with the reminder that there are things happening while we wait. Part of that, we find out, is that there's an invitation in Advent to give our hearts over to this work of peace that God is doing, to let his work of salvation heal our souls that are in desperate need, and that none would lose out on this. Peter says it like this, the Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Part of the waiting of this is this sense of longing of Jesus saying that all might come. And so we wait with patience, perseverance, even endurance. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, celebrating Advent means learning how to wait. Not all can wait, certainly not those who are satisfied, contented, and feel that they live in the best of all possible worlds. Those who learn to wait are uneasy about their way of life, but yet have seen a vision of greatness in the world of the future and are patiently expecting its fulfillment. The celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. For these, it is enough to wait in humble fear until the Holy One comes Himself down to us, God in in the child, in the manger. Bonhoeffer wrote this during World War II in the midst of such turmoil. And he points out something that I think is really important to go, comfort can almost get in the way of our waiting. That we can grow too content with this world and lose sight of the fact of just how deeply each one of us needs this salvation. That we're not sitting here in this place of relaxation. In fact, there is work to do that we are called to. The part of the gift of peace is that we would become peacemakers. And the world is desperately trying to find what Jeremiah would call um, maybe like peace light. <laughs> he says, they've healed the wound of my people lightly, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. And again, you see the chase in our world of consumerism this time of year. Like, we're going to just check our minds out of the violence and instead we're just going to watch Hallmark movies. I don't mean that with judgment. You can watch Hallmark movies, but that is light peace. And the truth is, what we long for is something much more robust. Something that's much deeper, that penetrates all the way down to the heart of what's wrong. And Jesus says this in John 16. 
Are you asking one another what I mean when I said in a little while you will see me no more and then after a while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. When her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. This is to me such a a wonderful metaphor. Jesus is saying, we're waiting with anticipation for the birth of a new creation. That the pain that we feel is like labor pains. Something that we endure, right? And, And there's no epidural. We just have to breathe our way through this. But that what is coming, this joy that cannot be taken away, that is the promise. That is what gives us peace. And the disciples struggled with this. They wanted to fight, right? Because Israel was under Roman oppression at this time. And so this promise of peace for them meant liberation. And the centurions standing there in the public square were the threat to peace. And interestingly, Jesus isn't really that worried about Rome. He's worried about sin and pride and the cancer that that is to each of our hearts. That's what he came to fix. The remedy has to go that deep. And so he says, listen, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. He tells them, I've told you these things so that you will have peace. And interestingly enough, he he says that comes with this guarantee of struggle. And he's not saying you'll one day have peace. He's saying, no, you'll have it now. Peace not as the world gives. And the kind of peace that Jesus is giving, he, he explains, he says, it's so that you would take heart. And that word, to be encouraged, in Latin the root means to, like, to be strengthened. He's saying, I'm telling you this so that you will stand fast. That's the kind of peace that we need. The peace that doesn't run from conflict, but remains in it, firmly planted. Jesus isn't telling them like, oh, everybody just relax, everything's fine. He's saying this all ends well, so get back in the game. In fact, when Paul describes like a sort of armor that we wear, the boots, the boots are the gospel of peace. It's, it's part of how we prepare ourselves for battle. Or maybe they should probably look more like running shoes because the gospel of peace, this is like what messengers brought. It actually is a sign of victory. When a king would go into battle and he would win and be victorious, the news of that victory would be traveling by somebody wearing the boots of the gospel of peace. In Isaiah 52, it says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. That's the message we bring. The good news, the victory. It's occurred, and now we are just waiting for the king to return, to come home. 
And in the meantime, we're to follow our captain. And Jesus comes down and preaches his first sermon in the synagogue and is handed this scroll from Isaiah. And he goes, oh, this is me. This is what I'm here to do. And he reads these words, the spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our Lord's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify him. Jesus explains, this is the work that I'm here to do, right? For the sick, they need a physician. The people that didn't receive the care of that physician were the people who refused it, that said, I actually have no need. And we realize to receive this healing, we have to recognize our own complicity in the brokenness, our own need to have our eyes restored to sight our own tendencies towards injustice, towards greed, towards towards self-centeredness. And these are Jesus' marching orders that he then hands to us. I love how Jesus is saying he's, he's planting this forest of righteous trees. And that's each one of you, this seed planted that the body of Christ, that the church becomes this forest of righteousness. And so we see into this just how much God values us, not just as his little children that need saving, but as his vessels of peace to the world. And to fully understand it requires us to look forward, to stare forward beyond our own death for it to fully make sense. And that's hard because that seems like the greatest opponent of all. But the victory of God is not just over sin, but over death. That our life endures beyond. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes these words that death has been swallowed up in victory. He says, where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It strengthens us. I um, watched the memorial service for Shane McGowan. Did anybody watch this this week? All right. Clearly not Pogues fans. Um, Shane McGowan is this really very interesting character. He's a poet from Ireland, um, kind of the convergence of punk rock and Irish folk music. He kind of was the, the, the father of this whole movement. He had terrible teeth. He, every interview with him, he's falling down drunk. Yet here you have the president of Ireland sitting in the front row. 
this broken poet. He wrote probably the most widely sung Christmas carol in the UK, which is Fairy Tale of New York. Has anybody heard this? It starts with the line, Christmas Eve in the drunk tank. And, and what you found in this is this window into this beautiful, broken human being. And as I'm listening to this memorial, you find out how actually deeply spiritual he was, how in his last months of life, he had communion brought to him every single day. That he had such a clear picture of just how broken he was inside and how desperate he was in need of healing. And as I'm sitting there looking at this, I'm thinking in some ways we're seeing like a raw picture of what is broken in humanity and also what is worth redeeming. And that in this broken soul, he saw this immense need to forgive others. That this was the way, grace. That that grace was the only thing that would save him and the only thing really we had to give away. And it's funny, this may be another lost reference, but um, so Johnny Depp's one of the pallbearers here and um, and Shane's wife is giving, you know, part of the eulogy and she says, this means you all have to forgive. That's what he kept telling you. She's like, Johnny, you have to forgive Amber. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I think she said, I hope this is okay for me to say, but I'm going to say it anyways. Johnny, you need to forgive Amber. And um, anyway, point being, I loved that moment because we can talk about grace and we can like celebrate this sort of beautiful abstract idea. But the truth is you need to forgive people, right? And there's people in your life that you're probably thinking, not yet. But this grace is this realizing that it's the only way I get in. (laughs) And it's the only thing that I have to give. This love of God. And Bono read a scripture. And um, of course, he reads it in the message translation because he loves Eugene Peterson. But a familiar one, but it's so beautifully written in the message. And it's 1 Corinthians 13, which you all know, but... He says, when I was an infant at my mother's breast, I gurgled and cooed like any infant. When I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. It won't be long before the weather clears and the sun comes out. We'll see it all then. See it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing God directly, just as God knows us now. But for the moment, until that completeness We have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. Love extravagantly. And the best of the three is love. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. Love extravagantly. And the best of the three is love. Such a beautiful message. This is the peace that has been given to us that we can give. This deep trust in this promise that this is ultimate reality. 
that there is this hope of this heavenly regime, regime change, of this new birth, of new creation. And when we give this, it's like this little tiny light dispelling the darkness. We bring this small little gift of peace into the world. But its effect is to cast the darkness back. Like Daniel says, those who have insight will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is this beautiful high calling of peacemaking. That we take that little light and shine it. And the darkness flees. And as I think about this word peace, I found it helpful. I, this poet David White would call it solace. That what God gives us to shine is solace. And he describes that as comfort or consolation in a time of distress. That in a world that is broken and in distress, we bring solace. And he says this, solace is not meant to be an answer, but an invitation through the door of pain and difficulty to the depth of suffering and simultaneous beauty in the world that the strategic mind by itself cannot grasp nor make sense of. As Jesus would say, not that the world gives, (laughs) right? This is a peace that extends beyond, that is able to reveal beauty in this world. And this is what fills us with joy. It, it carries us to our next Sunday. I, the, ne- the best Sunday of the month is next Sunday. Because that's the Christmas pageant. Where we see this story on display through the hearts of these little children. And sweet Toby is always terrified that something's going to go wrong. But I'm like, that's the best part just makes me so happy. We, I remember one year, this little guy, Jude, who like had a full Spider-Man suit underneath his shepherd robe, right? And you're like, everybody just felt a little safer that Sunday. But you're like, there's just this beauty that shines through in children. It's whimsical. It's such a gift. But in the end, we're invited to live our lives with that same sort of joy. And to get that joy, as it turns out, requires us living gracious lives. Not holding on and clutching resentfully to bitterness, but letting those things go. Not withholding to the point where we think somebody deserves, but lavishing people with grace. There's this carefreeness to this invitation. In fact, the gospel's purpose is to set us free. And I think this freedom gets at the texture of peace. It's released the worry, cast those things upon God, who's the only one big enough to really carry those things. I remember last year I was reading this book by Reinhold Niebuhr, and it's basically talking about how man is incapable of creating a moral system that there's the possibility for individuals, but when we get together collectively, we just inevitably make a mishmash of things. It always is going to veer towards injustice or towards our own self-preservation above others. And I 
was really bummed reading it. <laughs> I don't like to read that kind of thing. And yet I thought, well, it kind of helps us understand the sort of trajectory that we're on. But what he's saying underneath it all is the hope is that individual lives can be changed and turned. That no one is beyond that. I think this is what I love so much about the Christmas Carol by Dickens. Is that Charles Dickens has chosen the very worst despicable representation of selfishness that he can. And writes a story that even that heart can be redeemed. Even that heart can be changed. And I love in this story, it's like his love for Tiny Tim that all of a sudden breaks that cold heart of Scrooge. And his response is just this giddiness, this joy that pours out of him, this laughter where he doesn't even care that everybody around him is pointing at him. And this sort of joy, it can look naive, but it's part of how we shine peace into this world. Chesterton says this, the optimist is a better reformer than the pessimist. And the man who believes life to be excellent is the man who alters it most. I love that. This permission that in the world of constant, like drawn, being drawn to all the brokenness, all the scandal, all the whatever you want to call it, the Christians are given permission to live this life of joyful optimism that in this world we'll have trouble but take heart. And as peacemakers, our job is to see the value of every other person around us. That becomes the gift that we can give. We receive, like we sang this morning, he appears and the soul feels its worth. But we have this opportunity to look into others and to see their worth, to see their value, especially those who feel valueless, especially those who feel like they've been left out or missed. And you know this. For so many of you, this season is the hardest of seasons. And it's no accident that this time of Advent corresponds with a time where our world is darkest where our days are the shortest. A reminder that it's into that world that we bring light. We go find the ones that are left out and draw them into our feasting. And we also let that light shine into our own hearts and reveal where we need to be healed. Because we all do. All of us during the Advent season as we wait... We allow that continuing work of healing to go within. I've given you a lot of quotes today, but I'm going to give you one more. This is from Thomas Merton. He says, so instead of loving what you think peace, think is peace, love other men and love God above all. And instead of hating the people you think are war makers, hate the appetites and the disorders in your own soul, which are the causes of war. If you love peace, then hate injustice, hate tyranny, hate greed, but hate these things in yourself, not in another. That's the battle that we do. To look inward, 
to pray that brave prayer that says, see if there be any wicked way in me. To receive that grace. Like broken Shane McGowan taking communion each day. All of us knowing how desperately we need this physician and that it's only by his grace that we're healed. Some questions, of course, you knew this was coming. During this Advent season, are there worries or fears or distractions in your life that are robbing you of God's peace? Scripture tells us that we should turn instead towards Jesus, the God of all comfort, to cast our cares on him. Why don't we just take a moment and do that to yourself there. What is it that you're afraid of? What is it that you're worried about? What is it that feels beyond your control? Can you trust him? Can you give that to him? Two, who in your life is struggling to find peace? And how can you bring comfort to them? I think this should be like a daily question during these days leading up to Christmas. Each day, who in your life is struggling to find peace and how can you bring comfort to them? Often it's just a small little thing. Sometimes the smallest little gesture to show up and bring peace. (laughs) I don't know why I thought of this, but... I'm thinking of like Charlie Ferrari when we were going into COVID. He just showed up my doorstep and gave me a roll of toilet paper. (laughs) Like what a great response, right? As everybody's clutching and hoarding, he's like, here. Peace. And last, is there anyone you find it difficult to love? How can you go out of your way to give them peace? By doing this, you experience peace within your own heart. You do. This is the way it works. We're making room for peace. By giving peace, we're receiving. By giving grace, we receive grace. So would you stand with me? And I thought today, as we bring the service to a close, that I would read Paul's beautiful prayer of peace for the people in Philippi. If you would like to receive this, you can just hold your hands out and let me pray this prayer over us all. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.